and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. Well, this is not exactly what I was expecting, but... It feels very appropriate for the 50,000 download special to be walking through the woods next to a parking lot with my Zoom recorder just recording it all in one go. So if you are listening to this on Saturday or Sunday, congratulations, there's a very good chance you are the 50,000th download of Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History podcast since the relaunch uh, in 2020, uh, on kind of the new podcast feed. So thanks. When I put out the request for, um, kind of listener submissions, I was nervous. I was actually really nervous that nobody was going to send anything and I was going to be scrambling for what to do for this episode to mark the occasion. And that did not happen. Uh, I got so many absolutely lovely, um, submissions and tunes that we're going to work through those today, and I'll pop a couple of my own playing in as well. Um, yeah, it was absolutely humbling and just a joy and such a diversity of instruments uh, to listen to as well. So thank you, everybody. I uh, really appreciate it. Keep them coming in. I've said before how much I'd like to play other people's music on the show, and uh, yeah, people did a good job of kind of playing a tune or sending in a recording they are proud of um, and introducing them a bit and I'm sure some folks are going to send them in late anyway so keep them coming and I will include them and kind of pepper them throughout the uh, continuing podcast as it were. But I want to start with the first submission I got um, and it was actually <laughs> the first email I got in general from relaunching the podcast. If you remember back to the early days of season four, I said, um, should I even do this? <laughs> when I was relaunching the podcast, I was like, do we even need another podcast? And uh, my buddy Dan Nolan, because uh, this was early days of the pandemic, it was March of 2020, um, Dan Nolan sent an email saying, what are we doing anyway, Jeremy? Go for it, or something along those lines. So I was really delighted when I put out the request for for tunes that uh, the first submission I got was from Dan. And Dan does not play bagpipes, and that kind of set the tone, or the, uh, he, he correctly uh, set the tone for like what is, what is on this episode, which is a lot of not Scottish or Irish bagpipes, or at least not Highland pipes or uh, Ellen pipes. So it's really delightful. Dan sent in a track of him playing Hurdy Gurdy, and uh, I love a hurdy-gurdy, <laughs> and so I'm really happy to include it. And it's also, it has the, uh, uh, the distinction of being the second hurdy-gurdy I've ever played. So um, Dan and I are both friends from the kind of reenacting world and giving music presentations pretty regularly. And uh, Dan had some, he kind of switched gears from playing a lot of wind instruments to uh, some more kind of mechanical ones. And he played the hammer dulcimer for a while, but... He and I talked about how cool hurdy-gurdies were, and he had a hurdy-gurdy on offer, or like on an order, and it finally 
finally got it in 2019. Uh, Dan told me this about it and the tune, so I will read it to you. Um, okay, so Dan said, yes, he's playing his first hurdy-gurdy. It was made by Luthier uh, Gordy Starka of Liv, Ukraine, uh, which he bought in 2019. It's a three-stringer in DG and in a style that dates to the 18th century. The songs are Un Canadien Errant, or The Wandering Canadian, which was written in 1842 as a lament for rebels exiled from Canada after the failed Lower Canada Rebellion in 1837 and 8. The second is A la Claire Fontaine, or The Clear Spring, uh, which dates back to 1604 and was originally a song of lost love, but has also become a resistance song after the British takeover following the French and Indian War. I wanted to learn some French-Canadian songs for French reenactors at reenactments for the Battle of Prairie du Chien, uh, since he was he was there for like a big anniversary of that battle. Uh, anyway, and it's lovely. Uh, so here is, without further ado, Dan Nolan playing those French tunes on his Ukrainian hurdy-gurdy. We'll hear more from Dan in the future, um, but I don't have... He, he, he plays some of my favorite music on Hurdy Gurdy that I really want to do a duet with, but as evidenced by me walking through um, the Duke Forest here, I don't really have an ideal recording set up right now for uh, recording much uh, that would involve kind of formal, formal duetting and that sort of thing. So anyway, thanks again, Dan. Here is Dan's French tunes on Hurdy Gurdy. All right, that was absolutely delightful. Um, yeah, the Dan has got an, another hurdy-gurdy now that's a little bit beefier. Like I said, Dan's was the second hurdy-gurdy I've ever played. I had the, I don't know if it's fortune or not, like I, I think a lot of pipers go through this desire to, to get a hurdy-gurdy. Um, it's not for nothing, like they're awesome, but it really is like bagpipers are just maybe a little obsessed with drones and hurdy-gurdies figured out how to put drones and everything, right? Um, anyway, but the first hurdy-gurdy I played was not, you know, Dan's, which is, you know, kind of a, a beginner model for, for students, you know, so it's a little bit affordable. Uh, the first one I played was like, 
a working professional French-Canadian musician's really stellar hurdy-gurdy right after he got done performing on it. So I don't know if there's a warm-up period, but this thing was warmed up and was so user-friendly. I just picked it up and started twisting and pushing keys, and it sounded freaking great, uh, which is, you know, kind of the meanest thing you can do to somebody is like, hey, play this really high-quality instrument and don't realize how much work it's going to take to make it sound like that all the time. Uh, anyway, speaking of high-quality instruments that are expensive and uh, a little bit scary to get involved in, but something I really want, just like a hurdy-gurdy, this next tune comes from John Sherlock, I think. Uh, I think it's Sherlock and not Skurlock. might be Skurlock, but it makes sense because, uh, as you will hear him say, he mispronounces way too twog, so it, it sort of works. And when I say he mispronounces way too twog, at a certain point, uh, he pronounces it the way most people pronounce it, which is uh, wrong. So I guess that is going to mean that I am wrong in the scheme of things. But anyway, John will introduce the tune and then play it on Northumbrian Small Pipes. Hi, I'm John Sherlock, and I'm bringing Dixon's Highland Laddie on the Northumbrian Small Pipes to Jeremy's thoughtful and informative We Tootwag podcast. I hope I've pronounced that correctly, Jeremy. Dixon's Highland Laddie is one of those classic variation sets that sits so well on the Northumbrian pipes. I got this version from Matt Cecil's book, The Master Piper, via Chris Ormston, and Matt calls it Dixon's Highland Laddie, as opposed to just Highland Laddie, to distinguish it from other versions, of which there are many. If you like this sort of music, then I would highly recommend you get the book. I have to confess that I understood very little of the introductory commentary, which went right over my head, but the tunes are great and worth it. Although Matt's book is subtitled The Nine Notes That Shook the World, the tune actually only uses eight notes, so would have sat nicely on the keyless Northumbrian small pipes. The sub-subtitle is a border bagpipe repertoire pricked down by William Dixon, AD 1733, which I guess is what Dixon called it, or what he put on his notebook. Dixon probably came from near Morpeth in Northumberland to the northeast of England and it seems his family were comfortable. They had a townhouse in Newcastle and coal mining interests so they weren't poor. Dixon's book seems to disappear over the next century or so but then it reappears north of the border. Matt tells a good story about how it came to light. A lady, Dorothea Ruggles Breeze, was visiting a certain Charles Mackintosh in Ivor which is to the south of the western end of the Great Glen Fault, near Lismore, from where we get that great tune, Leaving Lismore. Mackintosh offers her an old torn book of jigs dated 1733, and Lady R.B. offers to pay for the book, whereupon Mackintosh, who by all accounts is a bit of a character, takes offence and throws it on the fire. Luckily, Lady R.B. rescues it and takes it home, and that's why we have it today. The tune itself is notated in A Mixolydian in the book, so with a flat 7th. But I played it in G Ionian on the Northumbrian pipes, so mostly with a sharp 7th as suits the instrument, except one strain where it's nice to drop in the odd flat 7th in a nod to the original, and I have to admit, to show off that I've got an F natural key. I've kept fairly close to the notes, but as always, little variations creep in, and the pipes I played are an 11 key set by Richard Evans. Dixon's Highland Laddie.
that's good. I really, um, and the, I don't know if I pontificated or mused about this on the podcast at all when it was happening, but I wasn't sure. I knew I wanted another bagpipe and I was debating between border pipes or Northumbrian small pipes. And I was just a little paranoid about my fingers being able to handle the, the tiny chanter. Um, cause I just, that sound is awesome. And it's so nice to hear, uh, Dixon tunes on Northumbrian small pipes. And, you know, really appreciate John actually talking about the, the story of the manuscript, which, you know, I think I talked about maybe at some point, um, but not really like the, one of the things I'm pretty regularly wondering and debating with myself about is how much to explain these sources every time I use them, you know, like at this point, O'Farrell, Aird, Jackson, Goodman, uh, McDonald. Like, I just threw these two, these names out there and don't uh, really give them much context every time. But anyway, I appreciate John going into detail about the history of the Dixon Manuscript, which is pretty fascinating. And I also can relate to the uh, over-the-head vibe of that introduction. I think, um, I don't know, a lot of that stuff some of the music, more music theory stuff about it um, always kind of floors me. And the fact that John even talks about fifths and sevenths means that he is far more musically literate than I am, and uh, it still goes over his head, too. Hey, I think we got bugs on the podcast. Uh, all right, so thank you, John. Uh, next, we are going to hear from Ryan Kirk. Um, so remember my prompt was like, hey, are there any tunes you play that you learn from the podcast or that I you know, played on the podcast at some point. And that is what Ryan is contributing here. This is Mary Scott. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but, um, yeah, Ryan appeared on my first album. So, uh, back in 2020, uh, there was lots of times in hospitals for people, <laughs> I guess. And I was kind of afraid that the podcast was going to die as I was, um, kind of going into December and was going to be busy with, uh, my mom was getting a new hip. And so, Anyway, it was a very scary time to be in hospitals, and uh, and Ryan is the wonderful guy who like basically came up with a new uh, Bremner episode for me because I, I did that series on Robert Bremner tunes, and uh, Robert Bremner's uh, brother wrote a guitar tutorial book and was a guitar instructor in Philadelphia, I want to say, uh, in North America anyway, um, someplace in Pennsylvania. Um, but yeah, I had this, you know, Bremner guitar tutorial, but I didn't play guitar and Ryan very kindly stepped up and played a bunch of guitar tunes for us. But lately he has been playing uh, Baroque flute. And so that is what he is going to be performing on. Uh, Ryan said, uh, this is a quick run at Oswald's Variations on Mary Scott. It's a tune he learned from my podcast. Uh, it's an Aulus plastic flute, a copy of an 18th century uh, Grenzer. He said it's a very nice instrument for the price, and he was thinking about a wood one, but the humidity uh, where he is is not great. Uh, anyway, so thank you, Ryan. Here is Mary Scott. <laughs> Thank you. 
I think, you know, uh, Mary Scott, I think Mary Scott made it onto Oyster Wise Rant. And, you know, one of the reasons I have been doing the podcast and also releasing an album is to give me an excuse to kind of revisit tunes. And I haven't really been doing that much on the, the podcast proper. Um, and so I thought, hey, 50,000 downloads is a plenty good time. So I'm going to play one of my favorite tunes uh, from Oyster Wise Ranch, which is um, She Rose and Let Me In. And uh, I'm doing this on my C chanter, my C Ellen Pipe chanter, um, which is still still not totally awesome. Uh, I still need to make some adjustments to it. And um, But the thing I'm, I'm really enjoying with it is that depending on the, the key that the, the tune is in, keeping the drones going in D sounds really cool with it. And this tune in particular uh, sounds really cool on a C chanter with the D drones going. So here is She Rose and Let Me In, played by me.
yeah so high notes aside uh that's i really do like that tune and like that uh, that drone sound all right let's get back to some of y'all's lovely submissions one of the the great things about the podcast from day one was kind of connecting with pipers all over the world you know i started way too togs bagpipe Way Too Togs podcast of Bagpipe Power, I guess is what it was called, yeah, uh, in 2006, and it felt like um, MySpace was kind of just hitting the trad scene uh, in the United Kingdom at the time, and so I was exposed to all kinds of like really new and, and cool music and made contact with a lot of cool musicians and, and following people. And uh, one of those musicians, I kind of, I didn't, I never connected the dots, but um, this next guy we're going to hear, Dave Rollins, uh, again, Rollins, Rollins, not 100% sure how Dave pronounces his last name, but uh, he had a MySpace band called Snake Town, and I was just enamored with um, the sound that he was getting, and I didn't know what instrument he was using to get that sound, um, and I, I just absolutely adored it. But one of the tunes that he played... Um, on that MySpace was Jim Harding's Waltz, which is a tune that Dave wrote. And it kind of just was on my fingers all the time um, whenever I had an instrument that was capable of playing it. It was always in the back of my head. And um, yeah, anyway, it was, it was cool during this, you know, the pandemic relaunch and kind of expanding of my connections with musicians around the world, um, kind of reconnected with Dave. And unbeknownst to me, like, I... I stumbled onto his SoundCloud recording of Jim Harding's Waltz, and I was like, oh, Dave, this tune is so amazing. You gotta tell me where it's from. I just love it so much, and I wanna record it or do like a deep, deep dive on it. There are people in these woods. Um, and Dave said, I wrote that tune. Um, so anyway, we're gonna hear that in a little bit, but first I'm gonna play uh, a set of tunes that Dave uh, sent in for the podcast. So. Okay. Dog walker has passed. Uh, not sure where we left off here, but uh, I'll just tell you what Dave said about this tune. So this is from Dave Rollins. Uh, this is La Bernardina by Josquin Des Press uh, from 1415 to 1521. He's not known as a composer for bagpipes, but the leading composer of his time. I've chosen this because A, it's a new find for me, and B, because if pipers had access to this music and good instruments, they would have played it. And C, because we should not be hidebound to tradition just because it did not come from a bagpiping tradition does not mean we can't play it. And I cite Amazing Grace as just one case. This is played by three Swain D pipes and one Swain G pipe. I hope you like it and include it. Better wishes, Dave. Yeah, uh, it's awesome. So anyway, we'll let uh, Dave, Dave, uh, his performance speak for itself.
Well, I think we're getting a good mix of bird sounds and plane sounds. I'm in the Research Triangle uh, in North Carolina, so like Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham. Right now I'm walking around, uh, I think Duke State Forest, or State Forest, or Duke, Duke Forest, I don't know. It's like a science forest and I'm in like maybe a more public facing park aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it's lovely, but kind of in the middle of the city. Uh, anyway, thank you, Dave, so much. And it's sort of, um, well, I just, it's hard to like overstate how uh, exciting Dave is. Oftentimes, you know, as I started to get more connected to the bagpiping world um, and like the bagpipe society and things of that sort, I realized how much I was reinventing the wheel and like Dave ex explicitly like a lot of articles and things he has written for the chanter and some of his books are just like oh these are my podcasts like I am I am retreading old ground uh kind of unbeknownst to me and uh yeah so it's it's great I've had several very engaging uh, and insightful and kind of enlightening conversations with Dave via message or uh, one of the books that I have of his kind of tracks the one of Dave's theories as, as kind of evidenced by that email is that what we think of as like traditional music or folk music is often coming from the stage it's often popular music like it's popular music of the day which means it coming from operas and performances of that sort and he and I've had several discussions along those lines and this whole idea of like not being hidebound to bagpipe tradition stuff I think it's sort of at the root of what this podcast has turned in for me like what it has turned into for me and kind of some of my realizations as I have at this point got a hundred hours of podcast episodes with a little bit more serious look at the history and historical sources. Um, and so, again, kind of following along that thread, I'm gonna play another set or another tune of like me revisiting something. So when I did uh, Oyster Eyes Ranch, I included the Carl, he came over the craft, I think is what it's called. And I played it on Ellen Pipes. So I'm gonna play it for you now on Ellen Pipes using that C chanter, which again, I think sounds lovely. Um, and then I'm gonna play it for you a little bit closer to how it's actually written using, again, my Swain uh, border pipes. But anyway, first, here it is on C. Illin pipes.
lovely, right? Um, that is a tune that doesn't work with the D drone, so there's no drones on that. But, so the interesting thing to me, when I, like the early days of this podcast, uh, like when it was bagpipe power rather than bagpipe in history, it was, like, part of my interest in historical music when I started to like pay attention to it, I, uh, one of, I, I guess, season three and two, uh, which are gone, <laughs> you can't really listen to them anymore, there's only like three or four episodes of each of those maybe, but what I was doing was kind of exploring a tune from Angus MacKay or Donald MacDonald, a tune from uh, O'Farrell, and a tune from um, Neil Dickey's Kitchen Piping book, and kind of in the course of that exploration, I realized that a lot of the tunes that um, showed up in kitchen piping and are sort of celebrated and thought of as like this new innovation of kind of pushing the envelope uh, sound very similar to 19th and 18th century tunes. Um, and, you know, there's just sort of this assumption that the music is a little bit simpler than it is in reality. Like, it's it's quite complex stuff. Even the stuff printed explicitly for bagpipes, but certainly if you get to stuff that isn't printed explicitly for bagpipes, we can see that 18th century musicians that are consuming kind of these ma uh, mass culture um, printed books are doing some interesting innovative stuff. And especially if we consider like the Irish tradition where like in Ilan piping, it's explicit that you are supposed to explore your instrument, like explore making sounds like a chicken or a fox or horses or whatever. You're supposed to like push the envelope of what that instrument can do uh, to do things. And I just, things that I used to assume were new, like playing F naturals and C naturals. It's absurd. Like, obviously, that is a thing that Highland Pipers would have done. We even have complaints about it, right? Um, one of the things that I will talk about in more detail at some point uh, is there's this interesting uh, entry from uh, an encyclopedia in the 18th century complaining about pipers trying to play too many damn notes. This is an 18th century source, right? Complaining about um, pipers trying to play high Bs and high Cs. Uh, so we know that they're doing that with the upper register. It would be absurd to me if a piper has got this one instrument and is trying to get a high B and a high C that they wouldn't also explore alternate fingerings to get C naturals and F naturals and kind of explore the range of possibilities for their chanter. So anyway, here is the Carl. He came over the craft using um, the G border pipes from John Swain and like realizing, looking at the notes from, I think this is a Bremner setting, like it's got like... The, the assumption, and I've seen this in William Vickers stuff too, the assumption is that you are going to play, um, like you're going to switch the fingerings to be natural or not natural, uh, or, or sharp or flat or whatever, like change it, uh, when it, when it comes through. So anyway, I'll play it. Uh, this is kind of how it's actually written a little bit closer using those, uh, G border pipes. these are the thoughts that are kind of in my head of my brain starting to realize that 
kind of everything that is new is actually quite old. And I think there's a joy to, for me anyway, there's a joy to looking through these old archival collections and realizing, like, so much of this tradition was lost and kind of pigeonholed into a certain expectation of what the music should sound like. Um, that now, and then the last, you know, like since the 90s and 80s, when people are trying to invent new things, we're still just kind of, we're just kind of catching up. And I, maybe we've passed it. I haven't seen anything that looks like a, 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 a Lincoln tune uh, in there. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, all, all that. I mean, and I think this is, again, part of it, right? Like, we praise Gordon Duncan for all his innovations, and rightly so, but a lot of what he's doing, right? Like, Gordon was going and engaging in, like, Irish music tradition, and so... Like Gordon Duncan's tunes, it was the coolest thing in the world when like those tune books came out. But it was really interesting for any of us that had like learned it by ear. Then you look at how it's written and it's like, well, that's not how it's played. It's like, well, that's because he never played everything the same way twice. <laughs> like, which you know, like embrace the variation, make some adjustments. This is things that pipers have been doing for years, um, and only really got away from doing that as a result of of competition and kind of militarism, uh, militarism in like the music, music and performance of it all. Anyway, this is all, uh, I guess this is a soapbox. If I have a soapbox, this is, this is clearly it. So let's, let's get back to some tunes. Um, so yeah, thank you, Dave, for kind of kicking me off on that discussion. And I think, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm going to be uh, presenting some of my thoughts on this stuff. And so I'm, starting to like engage in it so uh as of today <laughs> i guess i still have to like fill out my registration but i was very kindly uh won a, a scholarship from the piper's gathering folks so i'm going to be going to piper's gathering in connecticut and giving some kind of a workshop on historical tunes and sources and kind of how to use them and how to uh, how i interpret them anyway um but anyway, speaking of community and, and good music and Dave Rollins, I'm going to play you a set that I am working on for my next album, uh, Roly Poly. This is a tune written by Dave Rollins, like I mentioned, Jim Harding's Waltz, and then another tune written by Nicholas Conradson uh, called Waltzish.
wanted to include those because I realized that, like, you know, Pay the Pipe Maker came out in order to fundraise to get the second chanter, to get that G chanter from John Swain, uh, which very much is the sound that Nicholas Conradson is going for when he's playing order pipes or English pipes. That's like he's using the same set of pipes that I have, the Swain student set. Um, and John, uh, Dave also, right, plays a lot of uh, Swain pipes. And so I thought, well, might as well celebrate that because I think, <laughs> I think, and I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, if if roly-poly is going to have a couple of sets that kind of show off those uh john swain uh, john swain g pipes i think the next album cold and raw uh after after this is going to wind up showing off some new small pipes um yeah so i've I, I had the opportunity to play a set of uh quiet piper robert felsberg small pipes and holy crap are they like, they look beautiful, they sound beautiful, but sometimes an instrument can look good, sound good, and be kind of miserable to play, and it takes effort to, like, get it to that point, but it's worth it because it's hard and all that stuff. Um, Robert's pipes are amazing to play, um, and the kind of thing where you just don't ever want to quit playing them, and um, this podcast has introduced me to just how generous people can be. Um, oh, I just saw a newt to agree with me, I guess. Um, and anyway, so, you know, Robert's been working on a set of small pipes for me, and I can't wait to play them. Um, and I recently got to play a set from John Charles, who uh, was the other, like, absurdly generous thing, where John Charles just lent me a set of border pipes, which really kind of cemented the which bagpipe are you going to buy, border pipes or Northumbrian small pipes decision. So I was in love with Jim Harding's waltz and Dave's playing, and I didn't know what instrument that was. Turns out it was a John Swain pipe. I got a John Swain pipe. And I think a lot of us suffer from uh, bagpipe acquisition syndrome, whatever, where you just gotta keep getting bagpipes. And uh, I've always felt like I needed to stay kind of within a uh, idiom or tradition that I could at least understand and read the folk material for. Um, and I've been wanting to dabble in other things, but afraid to for that reason. And uh, anyway, so that is a good, that's kind of setting up our, our next musician here, uh, which is uh, Charlie Rutan. Uh, again, I'm not 100% sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly either. Um, but man, I am hoping and kind of planning to have a conversation with Charlie uh, in future future episode. Um, he has got a lot of bagpipes, and he plays them all really lovely, and I want to know how that happens. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, Charlie and I are hopefully going to have a conversation soon, but uh, similar to how I was thinking about getting Northumbrian uh, small pipes, I was also kind of thinking, I've always in the back of my head wanted to get uh, a Zabonia, uh, as evidence of how I shouldn't have one. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. For a while, I just called it... Uh, I'm sure this is a joke that everyone has made, but it, I didn't do it on purpose. I honestly, I think I call it a Zamboni often, uh, the hockey thingamahuzit. Uh, but yeah, Zampona, uh, again, not 100% sure, but uh, anyway, Charlie Rutan uh, plays them lovely and sent in a track. So uh, this is Tusendi dal Stel. It's a traditional Italian Christmas carol played by Zampanari, originally called Quano Nascente Nino. It was written down in 1754 by Saint Alphonsus Liguri with text in the Neapolitan language and became so popular that it was later translated into Italian and became Tusendi dal Stel, undergoing several small changes in its melody during that process. The melody probably existed in various forms for several centuries prior to its 1754 transcription and is still a basis 
place for many improvised pastorelles by Zampanari today. I'm playing both uh, Caramella, the Italian folk oboe, and Se Palmi Zampogna on this track. Se Palmi uh, refers to the length of the instrument's longest chanter, measured by the outstretched palm of the pipe maker's hand, much like the cubit of the ancient world. Zampogna have existed in this form since at least the early 1300s, where we have evidence of the instrument being played in frescoes dated to that time. The Zapponia is endemic to southern Italy, exists in about 20 different iterations in several sizes, and is a thriving bagpipe tradition to this day. Hit charlierutan.com for more Zapponia fun. So anyway, thank you, Charlie, and let's hear some stellar Italian tunes.
Okay. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Uh, okay, let's get back into uh, something a little more uh, a little more conventional, but also really exciting. So uh, we're gonna hear some uh, Scottish small pipes, but printed on a 3D printer mostly. So this next one, this is a track from Ben uh, Ezerman, who I I think I first met Ben on TikTok. Um, the the TikTok music scene is really cool. Um, there's a lot of uh, kind of interesting trad music and kind of baroque musicians over there that I'm spending a lot of time enjoying. But I haven't really made that leap. If if I go into uh, if I go into TikTok with Pipers, I know I'm still friendly with them there. But I've only really made uh, if I would call it like kind of friendships or deeper acquaintances with two Pipers. Uh, one is a guy from Buffalo, New York called. I don't even know his name, but Protection Road is what he is on TikTok. And the other is Ben. Uh, ben does really cool 3D printing stuff. I know he's, I think he's got a set of 3D printed Illin Pipe drones that sound really neat. Um, but he contributed this tune on um, 3D printed small pipes he had made. So anyway, we'll let, uh, he's, he kindly introduced his set. So we'll let, we'll let Ben talk about it. I was looking for some fun tunes with harmonies to play with other pipers. So I contacted Matt Seattle and got his book, Airs for Piping Pairs where the first tune is Jack's Gone a Shearing. Matt writes, This version of the tune is elaborated from the short set in William Vickers' manuscript. Here I'm playing it on C small pipes, designed and made by myself, mostly with a 3D printer. Enjoy. To keep the small pipe thing going, and I think just to show off how nice Ben's instrument sounds, uh, I'm going to show you a, uh, I'll, I'll include a clip here of me playing another set that I am working on for uh, my next album. This is, uh, for now, it is on Walsh uh, shuttle pipes, just because <laughs> I am probably going to wind up doing it on Highland pipes. Uh, but anyway, you can, I, I think it's, yeah, Ben's pipes sound great. Uh, I don't think Walsh pipes sound bad. But, you know, Walsh pipes are professional, everybody plays them, they're kind of the standard workhorse, and I think, I think Ben's pipes give them a serious run for their money, so good on you, Ben. Uh, anyway, this is the Tala set, or Nurse Song set. I should probably figure out how to actually pronounce this. Talav, T-A-L-A-D-H. Anyway, the Tala set, um, this is a group of largely Donald McDonald and Eliza Ross tunes. Not largely, those are what they are. Um, and they are, let's see, did I write it down? I wrote it down someplace here. Yeah, so this is uh, Tala, uh, Bundle and Go, You Silly Fool from Eliza Ross. Mr. Mackay's also from Eliza Ross. And then the Piper's Maggot, Wooed and Married and Awe from Donald MacDonald. So there you go. <laughs>
yeah, fun little, fun little set. I'm looking forward to um, kind of getting out, you know, the, some of the things I was hoping to do on this trip have, have fallen through a little bit. My hope was that I was going to get to go to Zebulon and uh, try out some chanters at McClellan Bagpipes and find a chanter that's being made now that can pinch up to high B and high C so I can get reeds made for it that aren't always a crapshoot that can do that sort of thing. Um, but they don't have stock, apparently. <laughs> like, McClellan Bagpipes just has a constant run on instruments. So, um, so yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get to do that. But I am hopefully gonna visit with some people while I'm here, or maybe do some recordings. My, um, my audio recorder, it, it, the system, like, I, my home recording setup works for kind of everything I needed to, and I'm using my school laptop, which I assumed would do what I needed it to, but it can't handle making a recording on multiple tracks, so, um, and the sound quality is just nowhere near as good, actually, as it is right now. Like, if I'm talking to a, the Zoom just out in the wild, uh, it sounds a lot better than if I plug it through the laptop in order to do, which is generally how I do this podcast now, is I use it as a USB mic, I can listen back and take many edits. So if you've noticed that this episode is a little bit more rambly and meandery and less polished, that's because it is. Uh, I get a lot more edit time and revision time now. All right, apologies if there was another abrupt transition there, but the uh, another dog walker kind of uh, showed up out of nowhere. Um, anyway, so the things I had lined up to do while in North Carolina are sort of falling apart a little bit. Um, the recording setup doesn't work out terribly well, and uh, yeah, my hopes to to get the high B, high C chanter of my dreams have, have also fallen apart. But uh, the thing that I did get to do that was absolutely lovely was visit with John Charles on the way down. But I felt a little guilty uh, for visiting with John Charles because, uh, so the, the two people that have guest hosted, right, John Charles and James, and I guess Sean too, Sean kind of submitted an episode that he didn't know what to do with, so I don't really consider him a guest host, um, but just, hey, I got a file you can play, which, hey, if you've got a file that's bagpipe history related and you don't know what to do with it, like I said, send it my way at bagpipehistory at gmail.com and we can talk about it. Anyway, um, got to visit with John Charles and Emily and their cats. It was absolutely lovely. Um, heard many a story of John Charles's time in Scotland. Uh, and he got to play my pipes, which is, you know, as I mentioned on social media, it was the first time he played Highland pipes since the world's competitions in Glasgow years ago. Um, so it was sort of an honor that... Uh, uh, he got back on the horse with <laughs> with my pipes, but uh, had just a bunch of lovely chat, lovely food, lovely drink, um, and good stories. But I, I honestly felt a little guilty for knowing that I was going to get to have this great visit with John Charles. And, you know, James lives in Utah, which is a very far way to go and not on the way to where uh, Robin's grandparents live. So uh, before I went to see John Charles, I recorded a, I think, three and a half hour long episode of Droning On with James. Uh, we started at midnight and we had to quit because he had to uh, play organ the next day and still had to learn a tune, which is uh, pretty on brand for James Moyer. But anyway, I'm sure that episode will come out in the fairly distant future as he is preloading a bunch of uh, episodes. I'm so envious of his back catalog of ready-to-go episodes. Um, 
anyway, so lovely visit with John Charles. The friendship, uh, like I've made a lot of good friends and good acquaintances through this podcast, but, you know, John Charles and James, we have started a, a couple musical projects apart from, um, kind of working on one another's podcasts occasionally. And, uh, but yeah, so we'll, we'll be talking more about that, I guess. Uh, we've already got one track on Bandcamp under the Wassalians uh, name, which is because we're playing Wassail tunes um, and we're aliens, I guess. Wassalians? We have to figure out the complete mythos of the Wassalians before we do too much more. Um, but it's just been, it's turned into this incredible chat, like running chat between uh, John Charles and, and James and I, and it means a lot to me. Um, and so it's really, I'm really touched with... Um, really touched with the things that James is about to say as he introduces this tune. So anyway, thank you, James, for contributing um, to so much of my happiness and uh, joy. And thanks for sending in this great track, which is going to be the last of our submitted tunes. And also a great example of what I was just talking about, of kind of pushing the envelope of what this instrument, the Highland bagpipe, can do. So James has definitely pushed that envelope a lot farther than I have, uh, as you can hear him talk about the Battle of Waterloo. Dr. Jeremy Waitutweg. Congratulations on hitting 50,000 downloads. This is absolutely something worth celebrating, and I hope that you're able to enjoy a pint of scotch or a shot of wine or a decanter of martini juice or something to celebrate. The hours of work that you've put into researching, learning, recording, etc. over these years have greatly enriched my life, and I'm absolutely raising a glass of 2% lactose-free milk to you as I listen to this episode. On the rocks. When you put out your request for tune submissions, there was not a moment of thought before the Battle of Waterloo, or some variation of Bonaparte crossing some landmark, came into my mind. This is a track that you explored in episode 16 of season 4. That was in 2020. With that already in my mind, the universe further confirmed it for me over the subsequent 48 hours. I'd fallen behind on some of my podcasts, and later that day I was served up Gary West's Eurovision episode, the intro to which included ABBA singing Waterloo, and I thought, hmm, that's confirmation. And later in the episode, there was also a playing from Jim Malcolm, uh, of, of the pipe tune, I mean, of course. Then, when I went into my kitchen, my history-obsessed son, whom I often think might be a lot like what you were at his age, looked up from the kitchen table and asked me, Dad, do you have any questions for me about the Napoleonic Wars? As I tried to think of a question, I was receiving an answer. Confirmation, if you will. I had to submit some rendition of this tune. I don't know if you'll recall, but when we first started talking, it was in part an interview on Droning On, in which we talked about your first album, Oyster Wives Rant. On that album, track 8 is your Illenpipe rendition of the Francis O'Neill setting of this tune. Shortly after we'd talked, you came across a video that I'd posted on social media of myself playing the Highland Pipe version of this tune on small pipes while riding a ski lift over a mountain. I thought myself rather clever. And at that point, not knowing my social media handles, you nearly sent that video clip of me to me because we'd been chatting about the tune. Jeremy, I say that you've enriched my life, and that is true in more than one way. You've lit a fire of curiosity and interest in me, which sheds new and exciting light upon these tunes, some of which I've known for years, as well as upon tunes that are new to me, at least. You've also encouraged me. In some way, you've given me permission to put my own piping out there. I hope that the air quotes that I'm using with my hands are audible enough for that statement to make sense as I intended it. Some of the humble little recordings that I have made and put out into the world would have been scrapped immediately if you had not told me that they were good. 
and a lot of the playing, recording, experimenting, etc. that bring me so much joy today would not be happening, because such things are like building blocks, one stacks on top of another. My understanding of my own instruments is deeper and more fun thanks to you as well. I never would have even thought to explore the possibility of playing notes above high A on Highland Pipes if it weren't for you, and as a result of those explorations, I've learned more about the mechanics of reeds and air pressure and the like, other things pertaining to the musical instruments that I love to play, in the past couple years than I had learned about them in the previous couple of decades. For all these reasons and more, I humbly submit to you this imperfect but genuinely sentimental rendition of the Battle of Waterloo. It's being played on an experimental Highland bagpipe chanter, which honestly probably wouldn't even exist if it weren't for you. I'll play it once through in the sort of typical Highland piping way, and then again in my best approximation of your Francis O'Neill rendition. One last note before going into this recording. As I struggled to get it to work in my backyard during odd moments over the past week or so, moving between reeds, tuning and retuning, opening and closing my drone reeds, my dear, sweet, and patient partner said to me one night, something like, Hey, I noticed that you're trying to uh, get some kind of new and different notes to work on your bagpipes lately. They're very high. I appreciate what you're trying to do. You're pushing the envelope and finding new ways to play the instrument and all that, and that's all good. I just don't know if I can in good conscience fully recommend some of those notes. Sweetie, they're just so high. And she's right. And so... I shall provide this recording at a brisk tempo that your suffering at my attempts to hit a high E may be brief, but I'm keeping it in, and here's my excuse. As well as my blessing, if I may give one, as your podcast and all that it represents crosses this line of 50,000 downloads, not unlike a Frenchman crossing any number of mountain ranges or rivers or what have you, may it continue to ever-increasing heights, crossing ever more milestones, looking back upon the music of the past as well as forward to the music that is still to come. Congratulations again, Jeremy, and here's to another 50,000 downloads, and another 50,000 after that, and another 50,000 after that, and another 50,000 after that. Yeah, that's really, those are some very high notes. Um, yeah, it felt, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm walking around a forest to record this, as you can tell by me being out of breath and not getting to edit these takes. Um, but I listened to it. I listened to, to James's recording when he said, hey, I got a tune, it's Battle of Waterloo. I was like, oh, cool. I know exactly how to finish the episode then. Because as I got down here to spend uh, a month in North Carolina, my father-in-law was plucking along on his banjo playing a tune 
and you know, he and I play together pretty regularly. Uh, whenever we're together, we play some kind of tunes. And he's like, hey, do you, do you know this one, Jeremy? And he started playing it. I was like, no, that's really cool. What is it? And he said, oh, it's Bonaparte Crossing the Rhine. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> so this is the old time, uh, the old time setting, I guess, for Bonaparte Crossing the Rhine. This is my father-in-law, Jim Sanders, on banjo and me uh, probably making it worse on low whistle. Uh, but yeah, it was just... It feels very much like how everything James was getting was telling him, Battle of Waterloo, Battle of Waterloo, Battle of Waterloo. Um, yeah, it, it worked out. <laughs> it very much feels like the appropriate place to, to end. And I think I just found a lovely tree. So I'm going to take a picture for the cover art. So if you've wondered what in the world is this cover art doing for the 50,000 download special, it's because we recorded it in a forest and your host right at the end uh, came to this incredibly beautiful tree and a creek. So thanks everyone for contributing tunes. Thanks everyone for listening. If you haven't, um, if you want to submit a tune and you didn't get one in in time, that's awesome. Keep doing it. I want to play more of y'all's music. Um, so much of this podcast for me has been a reason to explore these sources, a reason to play tunes when I don't feel like I have one. And so if you want to share your journey and share your tune recording and your explorations, send them my way. I would love to have a recurring segment on the podcast, which is um, playing tunes submitted from listeners. And you can just write up what you want me to read about it, or you can uh, kind of do what John did and tell a little story about it um, or, or Ben. So yeah, anyway, thank you all for listening. 50,000 downloads. Um, you know, I think a lot of us are probably listening to Enjoy Your Piping and you know, Gary will certainly hit 50,000 downloads by the time I release this. Um, but my podcast is super niche and it is, it means the world to me that uh, people have tuned in and kind of supported me and given me a reason to play these tunes and to keep recording it and, and getting it out there. Because if I wasn't doing it, I'm sure, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I'm sure I wouldn't be playing this music and I'm sure I wouldn't have this community and I wouldn't um, be as happy as I am. So Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to listen to more episodes, uh, there's obviously a big back catalog. We are probably going to cross the 100-hour mark with this episode. And, yeah, so you can support the podcast going to patreon.com slash waytoutwog. We've got a bunch of bonus episodes as well. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to end it. Um, but we, we should, so we can get on with the next one. I'm going to be out of really good uh, recording spaces for the next episode, maybe the next two episodes. So I'm still going to put something out. I'm hoping not to have to revert to reruns, but that might just be what winds up happening this summer here. But anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for contributing tunes. I've already said that. Uh, if I was at home, I would re-record this whole section, but we're not going to do that. Anyway, cheers everyone. Here is Bonaparte Crossing the Rhine on banjo and whistle from me and my father-in-law, Jim Sanders.
Well, I am going to do one edit, or one add something on here. You can hear me uh, out of the forest now and recording quietly in my room here. Um, but yeah, speaking of awesome things that James has done over at bagpipeswag.com, James not only designed a new t-shirt for the podcast that is just the logo, but is also running a sale on it. So for this week only, you can pick up a Way Too Twugs Bagpipe and History shirt uh, for 15 bucks. So uh, go check that out, bagpipeswag.com. You can kind of hunt around and find the Way Too Twog shop on there. I'll have a link in the show description too. But uh, yeah, big thanks to James for offering up the sale and designing the shirt and yeah get yourself a shirt wear it around be awesome uh and yeah thanks again for listening cheers